I don't want people to be indifferent to what I'm doing. I want people to either love it or hate it. a podcast about women and non-binary creatives and their experiences creating and consuming arts and culture. I'm Steph Van Schill. And I'm Ronnie Sullivan. And in today's episode, we were so, so lucky to be joined by singer, songwriter and all-round musical legend Mojo Juju. Mojo cut her teeth on the Australian touring circuit in the late 2000s with her unique blend of soul, R&B, blues and hip-hop. Her third studio album, Native Tongue, was released earlier this year and has received huge acclaim for its rawness, honesty and emotion. Today we covered how Mojo's music is influenced by her mother's Indigenous heritage, her father's experience as a Filipino immigrant and her own place in the cultural landscape of modern Australia. We started off by asking Mojo about her boldest move yet. Part of my life for the last, like a good part of my life for the last six months has kind of been talking about myself. I think it's different because the work is so much about my personal story. So you kind of have to, like, even when you're talking about the work, you're talking about yourself Mm. and, you know, or my family or my story. It's just, it's, it's very different to kind of how I've done things in the past. So it's, it's also not as easy to kind of make light of. I try to, I give it a really good crack anyway, (laughs) but, um, you know, there's just like so much heavy content there. That is that of, taxing on you though? It can be kind of exhausting yeah. to be totally honest. Yeah, it it can be, but you know, for the most part, everyone's been really lovely. So it's, you know, that keeps me going. Yeah. Did you anticipate that there would be that intense interest in yourself and your story um when you put native tongue out that it obviously is so drawn from personal life and and your family? No, not really. I kind of Not to this degree. Mm. Like, you know, as an artist, like a working artist, you know, a career artist, you you sort of hope and anticipate some level of interest because that's how I I can sustain myself doing what I do. But not to this degree. I didn't – I don't think I've experienced this level of interest before and maybe it's because it is so personal, I guess, that people kind of relate to it in a really different way, which has been kind of – fascinating from my perspective as well just sort of seeing how people kind of relate to the work the time has come for conversations about identity and representation in Australian music and in Australian culture generally so maybe your timing has kind of coincided with people recognizing that these are conversations that need to be had more broadly and then you get swept up in that as well yeah I think the timing was very right but it well not the entire catalyst I sort of feel like it's been a cumulative mm. the things that have inspired me to do like to make this particular record but one of those moments where that just like light kind of switched on in my head it was because of the conversation around identity it was like something that happened where someone said something I guess to me that made me go oh, this conversation is happening around me constantly. This conversation is very much being had in broader society. But as a person of colour, as a queer person of colour, I was like, I really, I need to participate in this conversation or it is going to be yet again another one of those things that happens like on 
my behalf or on our behalf without involving us in the conversation. Like I can't, it's really important that I do contribute to the conversation. Yeah, I think that's the big thing around like this cacophony of voices going on. And it's like, actually, you're talking about us and we've got our own voice. Where are we in this conversation? Yeah, which is why, you know, my approach to it, I wanted to address all of those things around identity and the politics of identity through the album, but I wanted to do it from a really personal place. Like this this is all very specific to my experience and I could not speak on anyone else's behalf and I would not ever assume to speak on someone else's behalf. I'm just telling my story. It's, you know, it's my truth. These are the things that I know to be true about myself and about my family. The fact that so many other people have kind of attached themselves to it and sort of projected their own stories into those stories and gone like this is really about me and my experience is like cool these songs are out in the world now I didn't anticipate that there's no way I could have but I'm really happy for other people to sort of take ownership of that now and kind of go this aren't really a this isn't for me anymore I've done all my healing and I've said what I need to say and if it serves someone else to kind of uh, I guess like if someone else feels like that they can relate to that and that offers them an opportunity to kind of feel less alone or to feel heard or represented, then yeah, cool. That's what, you know, that's that's even better than I could have imagined. That is huge. And I think it's probably the most rewarding thing I've ever experienced as an artist is the response that other people have had to the work and the way that people have approached me and felt like they could approach me to sort of go, hey, you know, that thing that you did meant so much to me because this is my story and you know this is how I've felt I think it was really good for me as an individual aside from being an artist just as a person in the world who has sort of grown up feeling marginalized and feeling like all these different intersecting parts of my identity don't match up and they kind of leave you in this weird kind of limbo where you don't really belong anywhere and then realizing actually there's like a an entire like huge community of people who have the same like experience out there like you know of course you know that on some level but just to kind of be able to say it so explicitly and know that other people feel that same way and that they hear it is really cool difference between kind of knowing it exists and experiencing it and now you're like you're living it exactly yeah it's like living your truth rather than just seeking it and you mentioned that you've said you've healed within yourself Mm. that must have been a tough intense journey how long has it taken you to create this album obviously you're doing six months of talking about yourself around (laughs) look I think it's not just about my own healing I guess part of the part of this was about telling some of the stories of like the last kind of three generations in my family Mm. where there is like a on my mum's side this is there's a real disconnect from culture and a loss of culture through loss of language as a an effect of colonization and all of these things uh which is you know a really common story for first nations people and for me it was about reclaiming that space and just sort of going actually just because i don't speak language and just because i didn't like you know, my my grandparents didn't grow up on a mission or whatever it, it doesn't make me less it doesn't make me less mm-hmm. it doesn't make me less there's this idea that people have of first nations people that's really narrow or like this idea of like how they want us to look and how how it is that we fit in terms of the Australian story where where do we fit and it was like no this is this is actually my story I don't know how to speak Wiradjuri I don't 
have like you know we I can only trace my maternal line in my family back you know four generations because there wasn't documentation because we weren't considered citizens there there's these really like harsh realities that people you don't look the, this way you don't sound this way when you speak you don't fit into this criteria that we think first nations people are which is a colonial ideal anyway. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's like these are the pictures that we have on our history pages. These are the narratives that we've created. You don't fit into that mould. Exactly. That is kind of everywhere and you're like, where do I? That's right. So it's like it is It is tricky. And so for me it was always much easier to kind of identify with my Filipino heritage because my father's family, we can trace back. My father came here like in the 80s he grew up in the philippines he's like very connected to his culture and i was able to access that through through him and through extended family on his side of the family so i felt very much connected to my filipino identity and because i grew up sort of knowing that i was other than the kind of dominant narrative in the australian culture i was like okay i'm I'm Filipino. I must be like Filipino. It doesn't really matter about that part of my story because it's too hard to access or like there's not enough information there and I don't really know how to connect with it. So my point, like, you know, this is the thing that I can own. This is the thing that I feel like I can have ownership over and no one's going to tell me that I don't belong to it. And so that was, it was always like much easier to kind of identify that way. So for me, it was like about being able to kind of reconcile those two things and go, oh, actually I can be both of these things. I can be all of these, you know, like I know it in myself. I feel very connected to Australia, the landscape, the land here. I feel very connected to my mother's side of the family. I'm very close to them. It was just something in me that felt like I wasn't really allowed to because I, I didn't feel like I... That, that's how other people... How other, It was like I needed permission from other people. Mm. And, all you know, it was so it was, it was, I got to this point where I was like, no, no, I know who I am. I know my history. I know who my people are. And this is as much a part of my story as this is. And I need to, like, step into it more for my own sake. It's not about anyone else. I do not... Like, you know, that's been the hard, that's been a hard thing and I'm still learning it is like you, I never have to justify who I am to other people, you know, and that's, and that's something that you continuously kind of having to learn because oh, for so many, for so many reasons, part of it is just like about healing for myself on a personal level, about claiming all those different parts of my identity and also, you know, my, where my queerness fits in with those things culturally, but then also about my mother and her story and my grandmother and her story and how those things have like you know that's a that's a wound that that they you know that I've inherited and they're still dealing with the trauma of all of that I think it was really cool for them to sort of hear this music as well and sort of know that I was telling those stories keeping those oral traditions alive because that's that's part of what you know disconnects us from culture is when you lose those things and that happens because of broken families and the institutionalized racism that can break families apart things like stolen generation you know there are some beautiful references to your family throughout the album but there's like there's some tagalog spoken word in there as well and that feels like maybe a tribute to those different Traditions? That's actually my dad. Is it? That's beautiful. That's, yeah, my dad's speaking Tagalog. So he speaks four different languages. Uh, English. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. That is so many. Uh, English, Spanish, because the Philippines was colonised mm. by the Spaniards. He speaks Tagalog, 
which is that's what he's speaking on the album, uh, which is the national language of the Philippines, and he speaks Ilongo, which is the local language from his. Well, he's from the Visayan Islands in Negros, and he grew up in a in a city called Bacolod. And and I speak I speak one. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was kind of that was cool. I wanted to include that, I guess, right after native tongue. It's just that you know it is so rare to hear that language spoken in popular culture. So I was like, you know, it's it's nice to kind of. It seemed like a fitting thing to do. After that song, yeah. It's super and complimentary to the song as well, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And are there musical traditions in your family as well that you're kind of drawing on? Or I think I've seen you talk about, like, that you are you come from a very musical family. True. Did that bleed into your childhood? Like, in what ways do you kind of take inspiration from or take just sources of musicality from throughout your life from your family? Like, funny enough, not really, like, traditional types of music um my grandparents on my mum's side are big jazz buffs and my grandmother's uh well she was a soprano she doesn't really sing anymore she's kind of lost her voice but yeah she is a soprano and my granddad played the cornet and the trumpet and my mum played the trombone my first or actually my second instrument that I ever started to learn was clarinet my first being piano and I inherited my clarinet from my uncle and then I kind of I kind of talked my way into inheriting a guitar <laughs> from my auntie so that's when I started I you know I just really wanted to be able to sing and play at the same time which is why I picked up guitar so yeah there was there was like definitely an influence jazz was kind of the foundation of my musical education from a really young age I was kind of oversaturated with jazz Billie Holiday Louis Armstrong that kind of thing but my parents you know they were my mom was into like all the 70s kind of singer-songwriters like Roberta Flack James Taylor Carol King Phoebe Snow like a lot of those kind of artists and then my dad was all over the place like he was into rock and roll that's where I first heard Little Richard and Chuck Berry but then it's also he introduced me to Sly and the Family Stone as well and he kind of he lived in San Francisco during the 70s so he had this kind of broad musical taste but not very musical like not himself actually not very musical I just kind of absorbed all of it and explored heaps of other stuff along the way I think as a young kind of brown kid in Australia, like growing up in Australia in the late 80s, early 90s, I was listening to heaps of R&B, watching music videos and just that was what I kind of related to more than the other music that I was hearing at the time. I was like, oh, these people, you know, I, I feel this, I feel this. Yeah, and there's such a delight as a listener hearing all these different genres and styles kind of interplay in your music and picking up you know as a layperson myself and not a musician who understands what's happening just enjoying the sensation of it all mixing together and, and picking up these different references that's good it's beautiful <laughs> <laughs> i have to agree i also think that you're saying your dad's like not musical but obviously helped you gain appreciation which is yeah part of the language of music and then you've got people on the other side of the family who can play and maybe you didn't learn these languages that they all speak but music was your language that you all shared perhaps yeah it was definitely a place that I retreated to that I felt safe you know it was like this thing that I knew I could do I was good at it made me different from other people but in a way that I chose like I had control over I had power in that rather than being different just by nature and and people kind of ostracizing you it was this thing that was kind of you know it felt like 
people kind of aspired to or they thought it was cool and it was this thing that I could do that, that I... You can't it, just do it. You're really fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you know, that's, that's also subjective. <laughs> I had a guitar teacher tell me at 16 that I should quit, that I would never be a musician. He hosts a radio show now and he has played my song on the radio. Vindication. That's, yeah, right? Cheers to that. <laughs> but... I don't know. It was just like this thing and I felt like a place where I felt safe. And because I felt like there were so many different people that looked different that were represented, like also seeing, you know, from a really young age, I I remember seeing Cream by Prince, the film clip for that early nineties. And I remember seeing that and being like young, but like old enough to get it. And being it's like, not subtle. You know, he's so, Prince was so androgynous and so like sexy. Yeah, and so intriguing and curious to, like, a young person who I think I was very aware of my queer identity, but I just didn't know, I didn't have language for it. I just didn't really understand what that meant. I knew that, and it was, I think I think it was something I felt shame around as a kid. I knew it was different and, and I felt like it was wrong. I grew up Catholic, so, you know, there's like, there's so, so much. <laughs> you know, like watching someone like Prince and just going, oh my God, so I can make music and I and I'm I'm gonna be allowed to be myself and be able to be I could be so many different things. You know, I, I grew up listening to Michael Jackson and Prince and Janet Jackson and you know, like there's so much gender play and sex sexuality yeah, play. Exactly. In there. So there's all of that as well as, you know, like people of colour represented through music, which I wasn't seeing. And, you know, they're all American artists. Mm. There wasn't that necessarily happening in the Australian music industry. I didn't really kind of fully grasp what that meant until I was like older and amongst it really, sort of being a young adult and trying to find my way in the music industry and sort of going, oh, it's actually not as progressive as I thought. And there's still there's still stuff around that that we're like only just now getting to as a nation. Do you ever feel like you are starting to fill that role? And is that like a lot of pressure? Because our music industry and Australia's society is so kind of stunted and backward. I think it's changing slowly. Like I think I think it is. You know, there's so many artists like Remy, Sampa, Kay, Adrian Eagle, like there's people kind of coming up now who've got a lot to say. When you're a person of colour, when you're a woman of colour, when you're a queer person of colour, you got to be like three times better than everybody else at what you do just to have the same amount of airtime. And that's what's happening right now. We've got artists that are coming up that are like some of the best in the, in the game and they're young and they've got heaps of energy. This is not me. I am like getting old and I'm getting tired. <laughs> but there's like young people coming up who've got heaps of energy and who are making really great like my best mate in the world, Kira Peru, and she's just smashing it right now. And it's so good to see. I love seeing someone that looks like Kira Peru actually at the top of her game getting that industry recognition. That would not have happened. It wasn't happening 10 years ago. It wasn't happening like five or six years ago, but it's happening now. And I think that's really cool. It's nice to have friend pride as well as just general like industry joy of seeing change happen. But that's beautiful to see your friend doing well and for you two both to be kind of killing it at the same time. Yeah, it's really cool. And if it means like that it's like 
a door open or that it's broken down some of those barriers for the next generation that comes through, then like, awesome. I don't need to be, you know, like I just, just to know that we're making progress feels really good. I don't need to be top of the charts. No. I just need to change some lives. And I think you're doing that, which is killing it. <laughs> I actually noticed because I research really hard for uh, interviews, YouTube comments on your film clip, good ones. Oh yeah. There were some kids on there saying that they're studying your song at their school. Did you know that? Yeah, I've had a few people say that they've been studying it at school, studying it at university. How does that feel? That would be pretty cool. Yeah, I guess it's kind of funny. Do you know what kind of weird. Like, what no. context are studying it? Well, I think that some people have studied it, like, in Indigenous studies. Some people have studied it in gender studies. I don't really know what's being taught. I only know that, you know, I am a total flunky university dropout. You know, like, it's really great to know that I'm back in the in the education system. Um, That's an opportunity. You could probably get paid to go and speak at these places. And you are very articulate and you are very learned and you're (laughs) maybe not, you said you're a university dropout, so maybe not in these classic tertiary ways. But your life experience has taught you things. You have learned a lot of things that other people maybe haven't learned and that's kind of what people should learn. I think... Go get that coin. I think that's how... (laughs) There's lots of different ways. I think that it's really interesting, actually, on the topic of academia, the way that things like gender studies, like conversations around race, conversations around sexuality are always framed, I feel like framed so often through this lens of academia. It's so like it excludes so many people who are directly affected by those issues because they don't have the language to engage with that conversation it's it's very interesting and I really that is something that it actually bothers me quite a bit particularly you know like just little things like when people on the internet are really like strict about grammar Mm. or you know in America when when people kind of look down on things like ebonics and it's like just because you don't have an academic vocabulary or like you know you know you haven't been through that system you don't have degrees on your wall yeah exactly does not mean that you like you can't speak on your own experience and that that isn't valuable and that you don't have incredibly important input into those conversations so it is yeah it is really interesting do you think that that has something to do with why the creative arts so like music for instance is becoming more political possibly people have more things to say people want to hear it look i think that music has always been political and actually i think the arts in general have always been i agree (laughs) political i think that it's actually our job to comment like society to be to kind of hold a mirror to society and I think that I don't I don't know the way I think about what I do is that you know I want people to I don't want people to be indifferent to what I'm doing I want people to either love it or hate it I'm much happier you know I keep I have to remind myself of that when people write nasty things it's like for every like nasty thing there's like 10 or 20 nice things that people have written but you only ever focus yeah. on the nasty things we did want to address the uh, bigoted elephant in the room without <laughs> <laughs> no i guess so just... we're talking about andrew bolt and well there's that yeah in particular um, that blew up recently I didn't... it was like it was like a footnote i feel like there wasn't really that much going on there but it just did bother me that i was name checked in that article and dismissed in that way of like i think the quote was something like is Scott Morrison's supposed to bop into his car to a song about an Aboriginal complaining that they don't speak their own language. It's just like, 
in that one statement, you are you are undermining the experience of so many First Nations people who have lost their culture through genocide and whitewashing and you know stolen generations and all of this basically colonization it's just like a dismissal of our entire history as a nation it's not about it wasn't about me that wasn't the thing that ticked me off about it it was like how arrogant andrew bolt is and i really don't i don't have any it's like cool you hate me great because i hate you i have always disliked you and and that's you know i'm okay with it i'd rather be pissing people like Andrew Bolt off than having them indifferent to my work. It means that I'm doing something valuable. And I think that's, you know, that you cannot, you cannot separate the personal from the political. Like you, like you were saying, are the arts becoming more political? It's just like, well, everything is intrinsically political. As a person of colour, as a woman of colour, as a queer person or a queer woman of colour, there is no way that anything I do, like, is not political. Just before I even made this record, I put out an album. It was like, you know, it was an album of love songs, right? Essentially, like, you know, fictional, whatever. There was just like, you know, it was fun. It was a fun record and kind of this film noir kind of aesthetic. And, and they're totally fictional stories, like obviously based on like real experiences, but definitely coloured in a certain way. And it's like, one, I'm writing songs about queer relationships, like the image on the front of the record is just me dressed how I dress, but looking like I do. It's it's a political act to be that visible, to be uncompromising in the way I present myself as a very mask, like embracing that kind of female masculinity that we don't see anymore because butchness has never been cool. It's never been desirable it's always framed as kind of grotesque and ugly or there's like youthful androgyny where it's kind of like yeah but it's it's different like still more to be to be kind of like butch it's not it's never been cool like it's always been that kind of like obese kind of unkempt unclean like trucker kind of uneducated i don't know there's some there's always this portrayal of it in media where it's just like it's kind of it's a little bit grotesque. So to be living in a time where, you know, like that act in itself, to just be a female who presents masculine, who speaks openly about queerness, like even though I I very specifically kind of, or I very intentionally stayed away from politicising the conversation, but it was inherently political. So now to kind of come out and talk about like race and identity and all of these things it's like it was not like I ever hid that it's just like I I am who I am I didn't feel like I needed to address it but then I realized hey this this is actually something that I do need to address I do need to be vocal about more than but I thought you know being visible for the longest time for me felt like it was political enough I got to a point where I was comfortable enough where I could like address all these things and I felt that it was sort of pertinent like this, this conversation is happening now. I need to be engaged with that conversation through my work. I'm ready to do it. I feel strong enough in myself that I can take the backlash and the criticisms that are going to come from addressing these things that are really personal to me. So it's like you know, I'm we're living in a world right now where there's artists like Young Ma, and even like on in Australia, Jesswa. And it's like this really beautiful kind of embodiment of female masculinity of like young black women standing in that kind of 
that oh, I don't know. It just feels like a really exciting thing. Like the first time I ever saw Jesswa, the film clip for Savage. It just was like my heart exploded with joy. I was like, this is such a brutal song, but I love that there's someone who looks like I can relate to that aesthetic. I don't ever see myself reflected in the media. And and now there's like Young M.A. and there's Jesswa and like so many others coming up. And I was like, that represents me. That represents who I am in the world. And that feels really good, particularly in like, hip hop where it's never been a culture that's re- very like embraced queerness very much mm. at all there's a lot of homophobia there that's changing too and it's really it's an exciting time and Mojo you do have amazing style and it's so <laughs> individual and like sharp and personal and like I'm just thinking of like your beautiful tailored suits and your hair, which is often, like, slicked back in a really sexy kind of way. Is that something that you view as part of your image and your creation of yourself as a musician? Is that, Or is it also in your everyday life and you're I, bringing it to your music as well? I enjoy fashion very much. I do like Liking it. I do like to, you know, bling it out. I don't know. I feel like fashion is just you know, an expression of self. It is an extension of, you know, your personality and it is a creative outlet I think I've always had fun with fashion it's like a really kind of fun sort of outlet for yeah self-expression and 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 it's not as like kind of deep for me it's like when I'm writing music I like really go into a place and you know I feel like it has to mean something whereas this is just you know that's why I change up my look so often and I try different things and experiment with this and that and I don't know. It's fun. It's just fun. Yeah, like a form of play, and that's how it should be. It's it's another form of creativity. It's also really powerful. Like, I did want to ask you about the video clip because it's been watched over 100,000 times, I think it is, and it's incredible, and it's so moving, and your style in that is, like, bang on. (laughs) So good. Thanks. Thanks. So there's all these visual albums coming out, like, you know, obviously Beyonce's Lemonade was the big one where it's all about kind of identity and race and politics how much is that visual element particularly like music videos important to you and how did the like that particular clip come along music videos have always been important to me because I grew up in that MTV generation you know um that's how you got music you you know you watched Rage and you know video hits if you're a bit less cool (laughs) I watched both because I was like so into music you know so that was like a really big deal when I was you know as a teenager we ended up getting cable and we had channel v and it was like an everyday thing then I would come home from school and I would put on video like the channel v in the background and I was like just constantly for a really long time you know being a kind of independent DIY sort of artist it's really hard to get videos off the ground because they're expensive and it involves so many people and so I haven't made as many videos as I would like to. And I sort of felt like we went through a bit of a, a lull with it for a while. But thanks to YouTube, it's like it's on the up again. And I don't know. I think, yeah, v- the visual aspect of all of that is really, it is really powerful. Watching Laminade and even the Beyonce album before, it just kind of set the bar so much higher than it had been for some time. I guess it kind of, you know, for me, it kind of reminds me of Michael Jackson and how, you know, he was the king of pop and he just had such bang on videos. Mm. 
every single time. So yeah, I feel like that's a, that was an exciting resurgence than things like Childish Gambino and that have come out since that are just like and the, the film clip becomes iconic. It becomes yeah. kind of inextricable from the song. Exactly, and and they're so powerful. Yeah? So yeah, it was kind of like it was cool, but I still was arming and ahhing about this video and. Claudia, who directed the film clip, she was just she wouldn't take no for an answer. She was just like, "We're going to make this video, whether you want to or not." <laughs> and, you know, I I always wanted to, but it was just like whether or not. Just see it. It just felt so big. It just felt like too big. And I'm just so used to like having to kind of build these things from the ground up. By the time I got to make sort of the end of making the record and all of that, I was like, "I'm kind of I'm kind of burnt out. I can't see this happening." And she was just like, no, 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 like, leave it with me. So I have to give her full credit for taking the reins on that one and really being the visionary behind it. Juki Mala, the guys who dance in the clip, uh, Wajara Bakerly and Yalue, they, of course, like, you can't mention the clip without talking about them. They are such incredible dancers and such beautiful people. And I think it was just like it happened out of a genuine collaboration of people who really cared about the song and really cared about the message and cared about making something incredible. So Claudia and Jukimala and, of course, Josh Bond, who manages Jukimala, they made that happen. And it is incredible. Before we jump to our shout-out, I wanted to give a shout-out and ask you about we weren't the only podcast that you've been on recently. I saw on Twitter that you were interviewed by, <laughs> like, a grade 6 and a grade 5 kid. Yeah. I was like kind of intimidated when I saw that because I'm like kids literally ask the best questions they were incredible that's kind of my shout out yeah, for this episode oh, please because please go check can you it out. tell us how about that experience yeah so as I went back to Dubbo which is where I grew up or went through high school anyhow and I, I I went back there with the band and we performed at the dream festival we kind of got asked oh do you want to drop in by um this school on the Monday before you head out and just do a quick little interview with these kids and maybe have a chat to the class. And I was like, oh, yeah, thinking not very – like I didn't think that hard or deep about it. And I was like, yeah, that, that'll be cute. Like I can just swing by and say hi to some kids or whatever and, and keep going. And then I went into the room, like just much like this, all set up, like microphones, everything, laptop. It was like, you know, like their little studio set up. I reckon it was a pretty professional setup. And they're in there and they've got they're so they were so organized with their clipboards and their questions and like these were some like seriously hard hitting questions. They went straight for the jugular. They were like deep in political, like really personal, really considered and well thought out questions. And they'd done so much research. I was just like, Whoa, how do you even know that about me? I'm like <laughs> how deep into that they've like interviewed the like local shopkeeper who knew you when you grew up down the road they're like give us the dirt <laughs> we'll find out everything about mojo so like they'd done so much research and i was so impressed i was like wow there's so many journalists i've been interviewed by who have not done this level of research oh so maybe the future is okay like yeah well that's that's how i felt i was like we're we're gonna be okay <laughs> we're gonna be all right <laughs> Amazing. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely link to that. I, the podcast is called Pieces of Wisdom. Yeah, which so, I might be misleading because it is me speaking <laughs> on there. And I, 
I was like, I don't know if I'm, you know, pieces of wisdom. I feel like that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> Pretty dense title. Absolutely. For anyone, like, yeah. it's a, you're going to get some wisdom no matter what. Bless them. <laughs> well, can we steal a piece of your uh, wisdom in terms of what you would recommend or shout out to our listeners? Yes. Sisteria shout out. <laughs> Her sound, her story. I don't know if this has already come up for you guys. No, it hasn't, but I do know about I, it. I thought about this long and hard because there was so many people I wanted to shout out. But then I thought, you know what? Actually, watch her sound, her story. It's a documentary that was made by Claudia, who actually made my film clip, and her creative partner, Michelle. And they've spent like a really long time making this documentary, and it's about women in the Australian music industry. And I sort of feel like everyone that I wanted to shout out is pretty much in the documentary. So if you just watch the documentary, which in itself is, like, incredible, you'll then see, like, all these other people that I wanted to tell you about. It's a better way for you to just, like, hear about it. But it just – it kind of – I think it was born out of – Michelle had made a book, a photographic book about the Australian hip-hop scene. And when she got to the end of photographing, like, I don't know how many hundred – different artists she went like there's less than 10 or something female artists here there's this is a real issue why is that so she went well you know what I'm gonna start documenting female artists in Australia and start talking to them like let's interview them about why they don't get as the same kind of platform as the male artists in this country and it's really interesting because for me watching it it was so empowering and uplifting and you know through the whole through being involved in this film I feel like I've really connected to there's like a lot of solidarity amongst the women in the industry there's there's this great community and everyone's really connected to one another through being involved in this film it was such an incredible experience and I think it really comes through when you're watching the film I know that some people mostly men who've watched it have sort of felt like oh it's so heavy and like you know it's such a downer but it's actually must be so hard right you know yeah but it's like actually I think I think for the most I think for the most part people get it and it's like it's really exciting I think it's probably harder to live it than to just watch a movie about it and be like (laughs) oh that looks awful I don't want to think about it let me turn this off but it's not it's not a negative it's not a negative film it's really interesting that like that that's the interpretation of it when kind of looking at it from outside and not being able to relate to it maybe men aren't as well practiced at having to try to relate to female narratives <laughs> yeah you know like as women we kind of watch films and you taught from a really young age how to empathize with the male narrative yeah it's universal male, yeah. male experiences are universal but but the but men oh it's just a chick thing and i don't get it mm. so you know take your male friends to watch go watch this film and take all your male friends Grab a fella. i think Hit the yeah, I think it will be enlightening. I love that. Mojo Juju, thank you so much for joining us today. No that was Thanks so for having excellent. me. Thanks, Mojo. Sisteria, created by women and for anyone who wants to listen. Sisteria is supported by City of Melbourne in partnership with the Melbourne Library Service. Sisteria is produced by Stephanie Van Schilt and me, Jessica Lucchiano. For links to everything we've discussed, check out our website, sisteriapodcast.com. 
We're also on Facebook and Twitter at SisteriaPod. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And if you love what we do, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes too. Our amazing theme music is by Rainbow Chan. The song is called Last and is available on her latest album, Spacings. Sisteria is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and to the elders of the lands this podcast reaches. We hope you tune in again soon. Oh, 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 oh,